It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Am I allowed to say balls to the wall? Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 583 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, October the 16th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, Please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We have got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams in the lead-up to the NBA season. Make sure you're tuning in to the shows covering the teams that you're most interested in, whether you're a person who's intrigued by Zion and the Pelicans and you want to listen to Jake Madison with Locked On Pels. If you want to hear about the stupid Lakers, you can do that. Of course, John Corrales of Locked On Celtics was on this show a couple weeks ago. He's got the Celtics covered over there. There's no shortage of stuff for you to check out. If you're a fantasy basketball player as well, Josh Lloyd has you covered if you're getting ready for drafts this week and he does it better than anybody else in the business so make sure you're listening to locked on fantasy basketball and if you're a hockey fan locked on nhl the national show starting up this week we have the local shows about two-thirds of the league covered right now and more shows coming each and every week so make sure you're finding the shows for the teams that you like on the locked on nhl network and uh subscribing and rating and supporting and all that good stuff and that is it for the promotion at the top on today's show I'm joined by one of our favorites. He covers the Sixers for Liberty Ballers. You know him as Sixers Adam on Twitter. It's Adam Aronson. Adam, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Sean. Very happy to have you to continue our series of episodes that I'm calling the Teams You're Going to Hate series, where we're going to go through all the teams in the East who the Raptors may have some run-ins with this season. And I was really kind of torn as to whether or not I wanted to do a Sixers episode just because they kind of feel like they're in a different tier than the Raptors. It has been Sixers, Bucks sort of considered as the main teams who are going to come out of the East this season. If, you know, if some team is going to win the title from the East, it's going to be one of those two. And so I was unsure if I should do a Sixers episode, but the combination of the opportunity to have Adam on and also I think the sort of uncertainty about how the Sixers are going to look in the regular season and thus could very much sort of play into the the standings race that the Raptors figured to be involved in. I figured it was a good idea to have a Sixers episode leading up to the season because this is a fascinating team and a lot of things have happened. Adam, I guess, what was your reaction when all the stuff came down in the summer? I feel like we might have talked about this in free agency, but now that you've had some time to sort of think on it and, and let it, the, the sort of construction of the team maybe become more realized in the preseason. How are you feeling about the wholesale changes? Are you still sort of missing Jimmy Butler and his ball creation? Are you sort of looking forward to this new iteration where Embiid and Simmons are clearly the two top guys? What has been sort of, I guess, for you watching the team in the preseason, your biggest few takeaways on how things are coming together? Uh, I've definitely warmed up to uh, to what happened with Butler leaving, Redick leaving. You bring in Al Horford, Josh Richardson comes over in the sign-and-trade for Butler. Um, the biggest reason why, uh, and anybody who has watched the Sixers in the past can attest to this, whenever Joel Embiid has been off the court, it has been an absolute disaster. And I'm sure your listeners know this, and they remember 
the Sixers getting outscored by 12 points in two and a half minutes in Game <laughs> 7 when Embiid was not scored. Um, and, and bringing in Horford, obviously he's a great starting power forward, even if he's played center for most of his career. But he now is also going to be the backup center. And there will be some Kyle Quinn minutes in there, especially throughout the regular season. But then, you know, when I think about what this team is going to look like in the playoffs, because that's really the only thing they should be considering at this point when they're building their roster. They're always going to have either Joel Embiid or Al Horford at center. Mm. And and I know it's pretty simple, but just that fact alone, two guys that are both so good, especially defensively, I would say they're two of maybe the top five defensive centers in the NBA and Rudy Gobert and some other guys are in there. Um, but even with Butler gone and there are some concerns there that I have that I'm sure we'll get to. Um, I'm not sure I necessarily would have still gone the way that they did, but I definitely see what their vision was. Um, they, they doubled down on just being huge and just having bigger players than everyone. And it's kind of silly. And, and we in the Sixers universe joke about it a little bit, but I mean, when you look at, you know, even a preseason game last night against the Detroit Pistons, and Tobias Harris is being guarded by Luke Kennard. And that's something <laughs> he'll see frequently. And Josh Richardson, who's not necessarily an all-star, but is clearly a good player, on almost every night he'll be guarded by the other team's point guard, mm-hmm. who in most cases is 6'2 or 6'3. And not everybody is like a Kyle Lowry or an Eric Bledsoe where they can guard up a position. A lot of times, you know, let's say you're playing, I don't know, the Denver Nuggets. That's Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray can't guard Josh Richardson. On opening night, when the Sixers play the Celtics, who they play four times every year, obviously, who does Kemba Walker guard on this team? Um, so I do think the the moves that they made, specifically Horford, has kind of unlocked a few aspects of this team that are going to be really unique, uh, that I'm intrigued to see how it plays out. Uh, I still think they're going to miss Jimmy Butler a lot, especially half-court offense. Late in the game, you need a bucket. I don't know if Tobias Harris is the answer. Uh, not that I don't believe in Joel Embiid as a player, but it's just harder to score in the low post at the end of games. So I'm still concerned about the way they decided to build this roster over the summer. Uh, but I do think there are some aspects of it that uh, are really going to be fascinating to watch. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. I like this team because it's so funky and weird, and I feel like the biggest problem with the, with the NBA over the last 10 years or so is sort of the sameness of every team and how just like the take a lot of threes, take a lot of layups, don't take mid-range jumpers has kind of just become the way everybody plays and, you know, certain degrees of extremity on that, obviously, but uh, I think it's sort of become just standard. You know, you run high pick and roll, you run spread, and you try to find shooters, and that's you go inside out to find shooters, and that's how everyone plays, and I kind of like that the Sixers are turning it on their head a little bit. And I don't really even know what their best style of play is going to be. I mean, they've always kind of been a team that bucks trends a little bit. They don't tend to run a lot of pick and roll. Simmons has never really been adept at that. He's, you know, much more sort of get into the open court and and destroy you in transition and stuff like that. And there's always been sort of the 
a little bit of, I don't want to say it's like bad chemistry or anything like that, but just sort of the dueling philosophies at play when you have Simmons and Embiid. And all of that just makes them a really fascinating team to me. And I think they're going to be really, really fun to watch. And having just watched the Raptors build a defense as absurd as it was, I think the Sixers really excite me because what was so fun about the Raptors last year was watching them play defense. And I think that's going to be the same thing with the Sixers this year is that they have so many good defenders. I mean, you could argue that, I mean, Harris is probably the worst guy on the floor. He's not necessarily great or he's kind of pretty much average, right? But then you have like maybe Ben Simmons as the next worst defender on the floor. Like that is nuts because he was himself really, really good against Kawhi in the second round and has a lot of defensive upside just because of his size at the position he's going to play and you can use him all over the place. It's just I really look forward to watching how this team is going to play defense. And then you factor in, uh, you know, Matisse Thibel and a bunch of other guys coming off their bench and maybe they can really, you know, become sort of like a transcendent style defense the way the Raptors were last season. And so that's where the interest for me comes. And I guess you mentioned the offensive side of things, and that is going to be very interesting, I think. And it's it's a lot – it's so unlike what the Bucks are doing where you know exactly what the Bucks offense is going to look like and you know that it's going to be good. But I still think there's like there's some potential there and a lot to work with in terms of offensive tools. I mean, maybe there's not a ton of on-ball creation – you know, where you can, you know, I mean, I mean, Simmons can create, I think he's kind of been slagged a little bit too much in terms of his ability to create for others, but his lack of shooting definitely sort of affects the way defenses have to play him. But I still think with all of the talent on the floor, there's no shortage of ability to get buckets from any of those guys. And I think as they figure out maybe the best avenues towards those buckets, that they really could find something here where they, they just, I, I would not be shocked, let me say this, like if, by the end of the season, we're all kind of like, why the hell are we so down on the Sixers offensively? They're very clearly the best team in the Eastern Conference, and this never really should have been a question. Like that That's, I think, that what the sort of upside of this team is. And a lot of that comes from Joel Embiid, and who I think has a bit of like MVP upside. I think there's a chance that if they are careful with his minutes and don't play him like 38 minutes a game early in the season the way they did last year that he can hold up over the course of a year with the help of Al Horford, as you mentioned, playing some backup five and not having to necessitate Joel Embiid being on the floor all the time if you want to have success for the team. And I guess sort of a lot of the offensive upside and upside of the team sort of flows off of his fingertips. And I guess my question for you, Adam, is can he be the anchor of a very good offense? And what steps does he have to take in order to become that? Because, I mean... Last season in, in the playoffs, in the second round against the Raptors, he was pretty ghastly offensively and was still an insane plus all the time when he was on the floor. And I, I just think if there's any sort of unlocking of a ceiling there with him offensively, it might just be game over for everybody. Yeah, I mean, he, he could certainly become a better three-point shooter. They've asked him to shoot a lot of threes over the last two years because of Ben Simmons' issues. He shot, I believe, 36.7% from three in his rookie year and ever since then has been closer to 30. Mm -hmm. I think opening up his game would... I, I think it would open up his game to a pretty significant extent if he maybe got back to that 36.5, maybe even 37 or 38% clip from three. Other than that, it's tough. You know, limiting turnovers, recognizing double teams early and making the right pass, stuff that he's improved on. And it's interesting because Embiid... Uh, you know, the word from, from Sixers coaches has always been that he's like a sponge. Mm -hmm. You just tell him something and he absorbs it. And and it's clear that he's made significant strides with, with things like passing out of a double team. And you can see it. You can see that improvement manifests itself in a game 
But I think the main issue is not really Embiid. The main issue is that the Sixers' primary initiator has never taken a shot, or has never taken a three-point shot in a real game. <laughs> and, and he just, and he finally, he, well, he's taken two, to be fair. Um, he took one against the Lakers and one against the Pelicans last year. And now he's made one against the Guangzhou Long Lions. <laughs> and it was a great moment. I was, I was in the arena it was it was it was as loud as somebody had just hit a game winner in a regular season game for a second quarter shot in a preseason game, which was ve- which was very nice. But listen, when you're when your best player is a low post center, your primary initiator just has to shoot. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that if the Sixers fail offensively, if we look back in May or June and say the reason the Sixers lost to the Bucks or even lost earlier is because their half-court offense late in games failed them. I think the first the first finger has to be pointed at Simmons, not Embiid. Even if you know Embiid is not a perfect uh, crunch time option, they're banking on him and maybe Tobias Harris being that. And it, it's just impossible to ask a low post center to consistently score late in games, mm-hmm. especially in the playoffs where you're playing against the best defenses and they focus on opposing players' biggest weaknesses. It's just, it's nearly an impossible task, as good as Embiid is, really to ask any big man, we need you to consistently score in the low post in playoff games, and the primary initiator of our offense is not able to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, Simmons not having any gravity obviously makes it more difficult for Embiid to be able to pass out of those doubles and stuff like that and find you know, reliable options with those passes because guess who's going to be the guy typically doubling down? It'll be Simmons's guy. And then, you know, you're kind of back out to the square one if you kick it to him and it's, you know, what's he going to do with it? Is he going to shoot? No. Is he going to... It just, it, it feels right. pretty cramped, right? And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe I, I was... I used the word wonky earlier. I yeah. think the offense becomes especially wonky late in a game. And when you don't really have a, a secondary ball handler like Butler who you could give the ball to late in the game and trust that he's going to get a shot for himself or make the right decision on the pass. Mm-hmm. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple times last year in the postseason. I think, what was it, game two where Embiid won it near the end with that, like, awesome yeah. drive and finish? Yeah, but just before yeah. that, he had a great pass out of the post to Jimmy Butler. And it yeah, was, that was that was one of the best assists of his career. Yeah, and if you can do that, I mean, it's, it becomes dangerous. But obviously... There's a lot less gravity, I guess, circulating these guys. And, and maybe it's it can be mitigated a little bit because Al Horford is a pretty good shooter um, if he wants to put it up. I know with Boston, he wasn't always the most eager shooter in the world. Um, but, like, he can shoot. We know Tobias Harris can shoot unless he's going 2 for 13 against the Raptors in a playoff game. Um, and we know Josh Richardson is fine. Like, I, I guess without Redick, like that loss feels pretty big as uh, maybe it's not as big as Butler just because of Butler's importance in crunch time of close games. But it, with Redick, how does that sort of affect everything else on the team? And, and in particular Simmons, because like, I don't know. 
You're talking me out of my very high stance on the Sixers because I'm worried about Simmons again. I keep forgetting Simmons is a thing and <laughs> his lack of shooting is a thing. Um, but so how does like the Reddick thing and the absence of him affect Simmons and Embiid and sort of how do you think that plays into the outlook of the team this season? So the negative outlook on Reddick leaving would be that he was he was kind of the, he wasn't exactly the hub of, of most of their offense because it was it was a lot more off ball movement than actually having the ball and making decisions. But he was really in every in almost every action they had, he was either a decoy or he was you know the primary shot. This is you know the first read of this is the shot we hope to get out of this. Um, and and aside from just you know I think he averaged like seventeen and a half points per game something like that last year. Aside from just those points. There's just a gravity that that he kind of just has about him that, you know, if J.J. Redick is on the court, at least one de- opposing defender is always making sure they know where J.J. Redick is. Mm-hmm. And that just makes life so much easier. And that's why I thought he was such a great fit. And I think it was such a successful tenure for him here that I thought ended uh, a lot earlier than I expected it to. I thought he would finish his career in Philly. Um, when you have a guy like Embiid, who came in as, as a dominant low post center, but also somebody turnover prone. Sometimes will will try to ram his way through double teams when he shouldn't. And somebody like Simmons, who obviously, you know, defenses are backing all the way off of him. There's the whole uh, Al Horford picture with the shoot a three coward meme, uh, which is ironic <laughs> now that Horford's on his team. Um, but but to have somebody like Redick, who was always running around. You know, if there were six seconds left on the shot clock and Simmons had the ball and there was nothing happening in the offense, Reddick could just sprint over to him, get a handoff, and fire up a contested shot. And even if it was a contested three, basically any J.J. Reddick three-point attempt is a high-efficiency high efficiency shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they're going to lose the ability to just, on command, get a plus-value shot without Reddick. Um, it'll make things tougher for Embiid and Simmons for sure. Um, because he was kind of a safety blanket. That's how I always thought of him. Um, the positive view is that Reddick did. Reddick got kind of uh, not tortured because that's putting it a little too strongly. But he was targeted on defense. He was clearly the weak link, especially two years ago when they lost in the second round to Boston. Um, they went at him. They went at him with guards who who would blow by him. They went at him with wings who would post him up and take him down low. Because he's not fast and he's not strong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not that, it's not that he doesn't play hard. It's not one of those situations. It's not that he isn't smart. He just has obvious physical incapabilities when it comes to playing defense. So uh, the other thing is that the Sixers offense started to uh, kind of move away from Reddick late in the season last year. It was something I noticed. I figured that it had something to do with what I'm talking about with the defense, they figured they might have to pull him because of the defense. Right. So they were trying to kind of plot an offense that wasn't a J.J. Redick-less lineup, but at least, you know, an offense that relied on him a significant amount less. Um, so it does seem like they're prepared for the challenge of dealing with, you know, having to construct a half-court offense without Redick because that's going to be an issue for them when they can't grab a rebound and get out in transition. You know, it's just going to be a lot tougher to create shots, even when you have players as good as they do and as smart as they do. Um, overall, the Reddick loss is tough, 
Um, I think it'll especially be tough at the beginning of the year as they try to, you know, figure out again the wonky fit of this lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think eventually they'll they'll settle in. Their players are smart enough and good enough to, you know, figure it out. They they may take a little bit of a step back offensively, but I still think they'll be good, and their great defense will be enough to carry them. Yeah, I'm back in. Uh, <laughs> the defense is going to be so good, dude. Oh my god, it's going to be it's, it's so be fun unbelievable. To watch. I think yeah, I think they're going to be the best defense in the league, and I don't think it's even going to be close. Yeah, the, it's just it's it's really really good across the board. I guess my one, it's not even a question about the defense. It's a question about sort of what the defense can turn into. Is Simmons we know is a transition monster, but with the moves that happened. I mean, this wasn't really a team that was all that equipped to run anyway with Embiid at center. But now with Horford and even like Harris on the wing, I guess Harris can run a little bit and sort of you know be like a Redick type where he can catch those uh, threes on the run and stuff like that. But it's not a team that really screams, get out and run and transition. This isn't a team that's going to be doing the Raptors thing where it's just like a constant stream of outlet passes to Pascal Siakam. It's going to be, I think a little bit more of, you know, they get their stops and they still end up sort of grinding out possessions just because it's necessitated by their personnel. And so I wonder, you know, I I don't think we're going to see the same sort of effect that the Raptors defense had last season where they turned that into such quick offense all the time. I mean, there'll be times where Simmons obviously goes out and yams on a dude, you know, three, four to five times a game. But I think for the most part, their, their defensive stops are going to lead to sort of longer possessions on the other end. And I think that's, Interesting and kind of weird, but again, sort of part of the experiment of having all these guys on the same team. And I I look forward to seeing how, how it's all going to work. We've talked a lot about the starting five, though. And I mentioned Matisse Thibel, who I believe I saw, I'm not sure if you tweeted it this morning, or is it Tom West or someone like that, who tweeted that he's averaging like 5.6 steals per 36 minutes so far in the preseason. Um, he was He's a piece that's on the bench. There's Zaire Smith, there's Mike Scott, they brought in Trey Burke and Howell Neto. Is there, like, the depth was a real issue for this team last season, as Raptors fans well know, considering what happened in the postseason in that series. And you mentioned Kyle O'Quinn, James Ennis is back on this team, Jonah Bolden's got another year, Furkan Korkmaz is back. I mean, there are interesting pieces on this bench. Are you confident in any of them really popping this season and becoming the sort of guaranteed parts of the rotation? Because it felt at times like last season there were maybe six guys that Brett Brown could count on 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 any given night, and anything beyond that was absolute gravy. Yeah, I mean, last year in the playoffs, it really turned into, you know, trying to find the eighth guy. They had had seven. They had their five starters. They had Mike Scott, and they had James Ennis. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, you know, I I wouldn't characterize their benches as necessarily good, but it it is obviously competent, and their bench last year was not even competent. Um... So I think they're really relying on, listen, if our, if this starting lineup just absolutely crushes people, like they don't need the bench to be great. Mm-hmm. They just need the bench to be capable. Um, I, I was, I was uh, at Brett Brown's pregame and postgame media availability yesterday after the Pistons game, and he used the phrase, you know, maintaining a standard that we're proud of. Mm-hmm. And, and Brett kind of speaks in those kinds of, you know, mysterious ways sometimes. Um, but really what he's saying is, you know, they're not going to get run over. You know, we, if we sub somebody out, we're not going to get killed on either end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what they have now. Thibault has just been unbelievable defensively. 
Uh, he's played 19 minutes a game in the preseason. He's averaging three steals and one and a half blocks a game. <laughs> he's just been like totally lights out. It's like it's actually funny. There have been a few times where he makes a play, and I'm just laughing. He had a, he had a backcourt steal of an inbounds pass last night, <laughs> and and you could just tell like he, he's he's really athletic and he's got long arms, but he's also like really smart. The the defensive anticipation is so great. I would imagine that has to do with having spent four years playing college basketball and you know this most of the Sixers recent picks have been one and done guys like Markel Fultz and Zaire Smith um so it, it's nice and Brett Brown really enjoys having somebody who comes in and isn't a project in any way there's no sort of drama mm-hmm. with Thibel it just seems like from the minute he stepped into the gym in, in Camden New Jersey it was obvious that he was a rotation player uh I thought he would he would get you know a light workload at first and then hopefully by the end of the year be a clear rotation player but I mean he's been their first substitution in every game except for the one where he got a spot start mm-hmm. um, so it looks like they're counting on him for for some legitimate production and so far there's been no reason to assume he won't give it to them yeah that's uh I mean that's the kind of pick you have to hit on when you uh you know kind of I don't want to say mortgage your entire future but the Sixers kind of mortgaged the future a little bit here and sort of made their margin for error a little less uh, pronounced with the moves they made last season to get Harrison Butler. And, you know, if you hit on a thigh bowl, I mean, that's huge. And if, I mean, to throw that dude into what is already going to be an amazing defense seems kind of unfair. And I wonder if maybe there's sort of a pathway here for the Sixers. I mean, they ran a lot of sort of staggered lineups last season anyway, kind of out of necessity. I wonder if that'll be the same case this season where in order to sort of maximize what Ben Simmons does really well, Maybe they have him sort of run second units a little bit and have like Thibel and Zaire Smith on the wings just sort of running wild. And you have Mike Scott who could shoot a little bit playing the backup five perhaps. Um, I wonder if that's a bit of, of a path forward here for the Sixers to sort of maximize what Simmons does well. And then maybe, I mean, we saw Josh Richardson last season with the Heat sort of have a little bit of point guard duty on his hand. And look, he wasn't like great and they kind of replaced him with Justice Winslow in that spot by the end of the season, but he can do it. And so I wonder if maybe that's how they get creative with the backup point guard spot, too, because I'm sorry, I'm not sure I trust Trey Burke or uh, Raul Neto to do a whole lot with the, with those minutes. But Josh Richardson's kind of a built-in ball handler right there. And maybe they can just continue to add to the weirdness of this team by not really having a traditional backup point guard. That, that would be uh, interesting and cool and fun in my mind. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, chip, yeah. I'll chip in on yeah. that real quick. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of been a mystery who the backup point guard was going to be. Yeah. It basically sounded like it would be Burke or Neto. Um, I kind of had the thought in the back of my mind. I'm not sure if they'll go to it right away. Maybe it's something they do in the playoffs. But I think eventually it'll be Richardson. Mm-hmm. Um, and Richardson got a chance on the 13th. So that's what, Sunday? On Sunday night in Orlando, he was the backup point guard. And then last night in Detroit, uh, ben Simmons had back tightness and he was out and Josh Richardson started at point guard. Mm-hmm. It sounded to me, and, and Brett Brown is very good at, you know, not, it kind of built Belichick like in a way of not uh, disclosing what he's thinking about his players, how what he plans to do strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounded to me like Richardson has become the favorite for the backup point guard minutes. Um, and, and I would only do it if you're confident that Richardson is actually going to provide quality minutes there. I wouldn't do it just to do it. But it would be a huge help because not only is backup point guard kind of a weakness, Burke and Neto both have some nice qualities, but neither of them 
have really, you know, strung together multiple years of being a, a competent backup point guard before. Part of that is injuries, part of that is defense, and some other factors there. But also, they kind of have a strength on the wing now, which is which is crazy to say because it used to be their biggest weakness. Mm-hmm. They have Thiable, who, who they're just going to love giving minutes to. They have James Ennis, who they trust. He plays decent defense. He makes it, he makes it you know, a, an acceptable amount of his open threes. He seemingly gets every offensive rebound in every big game. Um, and, and so you have those guys. You even have someone like Zaire Smith, who seems to not be a, a planned part of the opening night rotation. Um, if Richardson is your point guard when Simmons is off the floor, not only does it add shot creation and just give you a better player at there than what would be Burke or Neto, but then where Richardson would be on the wing, there's the spot opened up for Thibault to get more minutes, or for Ennis, or for Smith, or even if Furkan Korkmaz starts making 40% of his threes like everybody hoped he would when they picked him in the first round, mm-hmm. all of a sudden that's another you know interesting dynamic of the team that could be opened up by this flexibility that they have positionally. Man, I've been talked all the way back in. I think this team's going to be really, really damn good, and I, I think they're going to win the title. I, I think, you know, I know the Bucks are sort of the sexy pick, and Giannis is probably the best player in the East still, but I think the way the Sixers line up defensively, we saw last year that, you know, Giannis himself has his own limitations offensively because of his lack of a shot, and if you hit him with enough bodies, which the Sixers have many, many of those... I kind of think there's a path to sort of neutering the Bucks, sort of where all of their stuff sort of flows from. And so I I really, really like the Sixers team. I think they're really damn good. I think, yes, the offense might be an issue, and maybe they'll struggle. Maybe they'll only win like 52, 53 games this season and sort of be in the running maybe for closer to a third seed than a one seed. But I think in the playoffs, having just watched what the Raptors did with their defense above all else and an offense that was very much hit or miss – I think the the Sixers' defensive recipe is going to be really, really, really good <laughs> and really yeah. hard to overcome for any offense in the playoffs. And I and I also think like maybe this is all just like post Embiid stress disorder for me. But that dude was so insanely dominant while also being bad for for large stretches of that series against Toronto that I just have like an insane amount of respect respect for what that dude can do. And I think, like, as much as the fit might be weird and kooky and sometimes Simmons and Embiid are never on the same page or, or whatever, I, I just think the the upside that Embiid brings you and sort of the way he changes how teams have to play because he's so terrifying around the rim. It's like there's this, like, impenetrable wall of monster. It's like Rudy Gobert-like around the rim where, where people, like, actively go away from the rim because they're scared of that one guy. And then what he brings on offense in a way that Gobert can't, I just... I don't know. I think it's a a really, really interesting and talented and title worthy team. Um, last one, like before we l- let you go here, Adam, are, are you with me there? Are are you feeling confident in this team's ability to sort of um, like avenge I, last year, or or what do you think? I think I have probably gone back and forth mm-hmm. about a hundred times over the last three months about whether I think the Sixers or the Bucks are going to win the East. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of it for me is that. I, I saw over the course of the Sixers-Bucks season series last year in the regular season, 
and B did a really good job defending Giannis. Mm-hmm. Now Giannis still got his points, obviously, and I think one of those games he even ended up with, I think, 50 points when the Sixers basically just said, you get everything you want, we're just not letting you kick out to open shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what I saw, and even looking back at the games over the summer, because it's it seems kind of written in pen already that these are going to be the two teams in the Eastern Conference Finals, it seemed like whenever Embiid got, you know, made a few plays against Giannis, and, and my friend Jackson Frank at Liberty Ballers wrote a great piece about this that I can retweet so your listeners can go and find it. Um, when Embiid would, would stonewall Giannis at the rim, which he did more than a few times, Giannis became considerably less aggressive going mm-hmm. at him. And that's something, like, you know, you're not going to stop Giannis. And I'm sure over the course of a seven-game series, Giannis will cross up Embiid and he'll dunk on Embiid. Um, but, you know, Embiid will win against Giannis considerably more than anybody else will one-on-one. Um, and Al Horford, too. Al Horford, you know, has not always dominated Giannis, but we've seen it throughout multiple playoff series. In, 27, in 2018, he did a great job, and the Celtics won that seven-game series. Even last year when the Bucks kind of steamrolled the Celtics in, in games two through five, Horford did it like not a great job on Giannis, but probably as good of a job as you can do on a player that good. So I do, I do think the Sixers are about as well equipped to defend Giannis as they can be. I don't, I don't think there's going to be anything like, you know, people thought the Raptors in part traded for Marcus Gasol to help defend Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Sixers are going to be needing to make any of those kinds of moves to get somebody to guard Giannis. I think they have the personnel necessary to defend him. Um, thing is, just the Bucks are such a good team. You know, they, they, they won over 60 games. They had a historic point differential. And even though they kind of got destroyed by Kawhi and, and that incredible Raptors team in, in games three, four, five, and six of, of the Eastern Conference Finals, it's hard to pick against a team that was that good, even with Brogdon gone. Um, I, I'm not too worried about that departure for them. I think George Hill is good. Uh, I don't think Wes Matthews is necessarily good, but I think he'll make open threes and he'll try on defense. So I, I still think Milwaukee's really good. For now, if I had to pick, I'll say Milwaukee just because they earned it with how good they were last year. But that could easily change between now and October 23rd, only a week away. Yeah, totally. That's fair. I uh, I still say the Sixers are better. Maybe it's because I have the image of Eric Bledsoe just handing over a series to the Raptors in my brain. Uh, but, yeah. uh, it might just be because of what I've experienced, right? It's my own bias. Like the Sixers were terrifying and the best challenge the Raptors faced the entire playoffs. And the Bucks, while very good in the first two games, absolutely crumbled down the stretch of that series. And I, uh, maybe I'm just a little bit more terrified of what Embiid can do than I am of anybody else. And Hey, could you blame me? He was ridiculous. And so, that's where I think we should leave it here for today. I uh, I look forward to watching the Sixers and the Raptors play this season. I think it's going to be fun to watch Gasol do his thing against Embiid once again for an entire year. And we will definitely catch up with you, Adam, next time these two teams come across each other. I'm not even sure when that happens because I haven't really looked at the schedule, but I'm sure it comes up some point pretty soon because they're in the same division. Uh, that's going to do it, though. Aaron, or Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where uh, can people find your work? Uh, I am on LibertyBallers.com, 
uh, I have a press credential for the Sixers this year, so I've been writing a bunch of stuff about you know what I'm hearing from Brett Brown of these media availabilities from the players and what I'm seeing at the games. I've been tracking all the rotations, and there'll probably be a piece about that at some point soon. Um, on Twitter, at Sixers Adam, you can find me there, uh, tweeting about the Sixers basically all the time, the rest of the NBA as well. Uh, that's where you can find me. Amazing, man. It was so good to have you on, and we'll have you on, on again soon. You can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. It's very much appreciated if you leave that little review. It uh, helps us with rankings and becoming more discoverable and all that good stuff. Uh, you can also keep an eye out for Raptors HQ this week. I'm going to have a preview of Serge Ibaka's season. Uh, will I talk exclusively about his cooking show? Maybe, but uh, keep an eye out for that. Also, if you have yet to purchase it and want to get it, maybe before ring night, say you just want to have this with you while the Raptors receive their rings on Tuesday, you can order We the Champs still at Indigo, uh, TriumphBooks.com, Amazon if you must, but Amazon's bad, so don't do that. And uh, that's about it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will back, be back again on Thursday with our annual Over-Unders podcast with Sahal Abdi and Vivek Jacobs, so stay tuned for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And we will talk to you then with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.